So here, I, I, I ask you the question, as I often do, are you in the know, or are you living like you know? Now, some of us would say, what in the world does that mean, Bruno? Well, sometimes we like to be in the know because we like to be informed. If you are a husband or a wife, and there's something going on with the children's lives, and usually the husband is moving around getting things done, um, the wife knows more than the husband, and the husband is not in the know, meaning they're not informed. So something happens, they kind of know last minute. Um, I've said over time and time again that in the Christmas time, I'm truly not in the know. My wife just tells me what she's getting for the kids, and it goes one ear and out the other until they open up the presents on Christmas morning. And then I'm like, oh, that's good to know. Who got that for you? And they said, you did, Daddy. I said, I did? Oh, did we get that, honey? Okay. All right. Well, we got it. Okay. So, and, and sometimes what happens too is when, uh, you know, like last week I'm in a staff meeting and my wife told me she was going away for the weekend and Heather told me that your wife's going away this weekend. I'm like, she is? And they started laughing at me and then Dennis was laughing and everybody's laughing. I'm like, um, where is she going? I don't even know. She's like, she's going. She's going away. Didn't you know about it? I'm like, um... So I'm texting her while we're in staff. I'm like, where are you going this weekend? I told you where I was going. Well, where are you going? <laughs> what did you tell me? And she told me, I'm going away. I'm going, you know, there's a, there's a special family event. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, okay. So sometimes I need to know only because I want to be in the know, but um, I don't need to know because I have to really know. Uh, because so that I'm like a deer in the headlights wondering what in the world's going on. So sometimes what happens is... We know something or know about something, but knowing or being in the know and living like you know is something else. You know, like in sports, I don't know about you, but I'm a, an avid fan of different sports from New York and especially the Yankees, and I'm giving it to the, the manager and giving it to the general manager, and I have a lecture for both of them at each game and saying, what in the world are you doing? Why did you bring that pitcher in? And I go back and forth, kind of like basketball now. The Knicks finally made the playoffs, and I'm all excited. My son's like, yeah, you really like the Knicks? Yes, I love the Knicks, but they've been awful for years and years and years. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the game with the Knicks, and I'm like, what in the world are they doing? And I'm going back and forth, back and forth. But here I am just trying for, you know, an avid fan, listening to the commentators or doing whatever, following the post analysis and, and, and giving the general manager and the coaches a hard time for their decision making. But I have never played a game of official basketball. <laughs> so how in the world can I know? I'm in the know that because I watch all the sports channels and listen and understand and know a little bit about the plays but living in the know is when I'm actually in a game with a coach, with a play board, a playmaker board, and I'm just sitting there and I'm watching the X's and the O's and I know when to move and when not to move. I know when to dribble, when not to dribble. Because see, these guys have about probably two seconds to make a decision to determine whether they should keep dribbling, pass it, take a shot, or keep dribbling. <laughs> And it's just moving back and forth. But who am I? I'm in the know, but I really don't know because I haven't experienced it. And who am I to say, hey, you need to do better? Now, I understand it's their job and they get paid lots of money. I'm not talking about that. But who am I? See, there's a difference between being in the know and living like you know. Something similar to Christianity. 
we can be in the know, learn some important theological terms, which I love theology. I can sit there for days and days and days, sit in a room and be happy. Specific information about languages, even to be expounding on God's word. Yet if we have never experienced trials, tribulations, impossible moments, identity struggles, moments of vulnerability or depression, in other words, if we've never seen God rescue, out of, rescue us out of them, then we're not really living in the know. We're only living, living in the know, but we're not living like we know. We would have a difficult time sharing what we really don't know. <laughs> because I find that most Christians who don't live like they know and are living in the know tend to complain more, like me with sports. <laughs> I'm always rattling out and saying what they should do, but I really don't know what they should do because I've never experienced it. Because I know some terms and I know about the sporting terms that I can tell you, but never experienced it. And see, I read an article this past week from Christianity Today. It's, it's entitled, Bible Reading Drops During Social Distancing. The subheading states, daily engagement has already been declining, but worsening during the pandemic according to the annual state of the Bible report, July 22nd, 2020. Here are some of the findings. People who use their Bible daily dropped from a whopping 14% to 9%. Yes, I don't think we, I think we can hear a pin drop right now. A decrease of 5% was unprecedented since it remained steady from 2011 to 2013, about 13.7%. Americans who say their choices and relationships are shaped by the Bible went from a whopping 27.8% to 22.8% from January to June of 2020. These reports support that the church play a major role in the life of the believer for personal spiritual engagement. A director of the American Bible Society states this, to increase uh, scripture engagement, we must increase relational connections with one another through the church. The pandemic and now this survey has shown that when relational church engagement goes up, so does spiritual engagement. But when it goes down, spiritual engagement drops with it. So how do we get ourselves acquainted back to the basics, or what I would call acquainted with the scriptures? Again, with minimal personal engagement with others. How do we do that? How do we do that knowing we've not really been together, afraid to be together, not connecting? How do we re-engage? Why is it so important for, script, for, for Christians to spend time in the scriptures? Why does it tell us about our faith? What does it do? What does it tell us about us? And what does it tell us to do. See, I believe Christians get tired of hearing the same message and don't see the personal daily benefit of walking with the Lord. See, to go from 14 to 9%, I mean, 14 is a serious failing grade. I mean, it's like you need to get out of school. You know what I mean? Don't go back to school. I mean, you get 14%. I wouldn't shout that to the heavens. But here's the thing. You go down 9%, that just makes your point. So here's the thing. You have, you have this thing that's going on because I believe we're missing out on a personal experience of drawing close to God and experiencing his presence. See, they see that the scriptures 
So often Christians see the scriptures as God reminding us of the do's and the don'ts. Is it true? Is there more to the scriptures and to the message God has for us? Isn't it about relationship? Don't the scriptures remind us that we are not alone? We don't need to isolate. God is not about to judge us or out to judge us. God desires to have a relationship with us. And see, that's important. That's why in in the book of 2 Timothy, as we look at it quickly today, one of my favorite books in the Bible, Paul was in prison in Rome. He wrote this letter as his last letter before he was about to go with the Lord. And he's encouraging his son in the Lord, Timothy. He has mentored for many years now. And here Timothy was at the church in Ephesus And he was battling with false teachers because the false teachers were deceptive. They showed a form of the truth, but it really wasn't the truth. And it it was so deceptive because it would almost hear like it was the truth. I mean, they would mention Jesus, but they didn't really mention that Jesus was God because he was a flesh. It's a dualism that would be a form of Gnosticism that would shorn out that it would say that Jesus really isn't the son of God because he's of matter, not of spirit. So God stood alone, and Jesus was a rabbi, and he spoke of great things, and he was a teacher, but he really wasn't the son of God. So the false teachers would mislead the Christians to believe that, similar to today. Most people today would say, is Jesus really the son of God? Is he really the only way to the Father? Is he the only way to eternal life? I mean, all these religions are claiming to have nirvana and to be able to reach some kind of heaven. What makes the difference? Well, if we're not living it, they're not going to see the difference. We could be about apologetics and defending the truth, but if we don't live it, then it's just mere words. And we can be eloquent and we can be intellectual. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I've got to be honest with you. As desirous as I am about the intellect world and how I love it, it will not get us out of this problem that we have right now that we're working with and we're living with with isolationism and Christianity right now. We're not coming out to the building because we're afraid we may potentially get a virus. And if we get the virus, what's going to happen when 99.2% of people are surviving from it? Yet I think even the flus, more people will die at times from it. But we can't be isolated from one another. We have to reunite. We can't be isolators. We have to be initiators. And we have to move forward believing that God wants to get us out of the snow. He's qualified us because of what he's done through his son. Colossians 1, verse 12, 13 and 14 says, he has taken us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light of his son. So I wanted to share just a couple of things. How can we get acquainted back with the scriptures? What is it that it tells us? What does it tell us to do? Why is it important for us to be in the scriptures more than 14%? Well, number one, I I really want to just share with you, it's being acquainted with the scripture reminds us that we need coaches in our lives. We need coaches in our lives. We need people around us. See, we've been living in isolationism for too long, 14 months. It's enough. (laughs) We have technology. We can get on our phones. We can text and we can email and we can connect with people. We can Zoom, but we're still isolated because we're afraid. We shouldn't stop ministering. We sure enough shouldn't stop reading the scriptures. But the scriptures tells us that we need one another. We need God. We need relationship. We need to be in connection. We need to be in community. I'm not just throwing out a commercial here so you come back to church. I'm saying this because it's necessary for our (laughs) well-being. 
I mean, this is for our well-being. That's why in this so-called world of pandemic, suicides are up, depression is up, people are just losing their minds, marriages are at a, at a crazy place right now. It was before the pandemic, and now it's even in a crazier place because we're hurting we're empty. We're losing our identity. We don't know who we are. We're becoming more and more insecure. Introverts are becoming extroverts. Extroverts are becoming introverts. And we're living in a crazy world. This person won't become an introvert yet. I mean, but that's okay. You wish Some of you would wish I would be. You'd wish I'd be quiet. But here's the thing. God is calling us to something greater. We need coaches. Let me just share a couple of scriptures here with you. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul is talking to Timothy, and it's important for us to see. Uh, need help here. Need help, guys. Advance this slide, please. You, however, had following my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. If you have your scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. My persecutions, sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me indeed. And indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus must be persecuted, will be persecuted. Paul was a coach to Timothy. He was a mentor. Timothy was able to watch Paul at work, and then he was able to do the work. He was accountable to God and Paul. We all need a mentor. We can't make it without him or her. The importance of being discipled reminds us that we need to be discipling another person. See, that's what it is. And so in the emphatic, when you see there the you, he's trying to break up the difference here. He's trying to show how the importance of what the first part of chapter 3 was all these false teachers. And, and as you see the list going on of the selfishness and the pride and the arrogance and how Paul was calling them out. You notice that Jesus, who did he call out? He didn't call out the Jews or he didn't call out the Gentiles. What he did was he called out the Pharisees. And now Paul is calling out the false teachers who were like Pharisees. And he's saying to him now, now you, with an emphatic position, grammatically speaking, that he's highlighting the fact that you are going to be different than those. Than those. So it's important for us to see that in this passage here, he goes on and he says, following faithfully. He says, you've been following me, conform, and it means to conform to someone's belief or practice by paying special attention. So he's watching him. He's following him as a rule. See, during this time, as I stated, we become serious isolators, but now it's time for us to become initiators and imitators. Coaches are imitators and they're initiators. You know, you've been on a team, you know you have coaches when they're yelling at you and screaming at you more worse than a parent, and you're sitting there and you're saying, why is he yelling at me? I'm trying my best. Please stop yelling at me, coach. I'm really trying. I'm really, really, really trying. I'm getting tired. I'm going to go sit down. No, get up, get up. You got to move. You got to move. You got to move. He's initiating, saying you got to get moving. You got to play. You got to go moving to the next play. He's trying to encourage them to move forward. How many of us today, if we're not in the scriptures, and 14% of us are, how are we going to coach anyone? 
How are we going to, if we're not initiating our step towards the scripture, how are we going to be imitators? <laughs> we can't. It's impossible. And if we're not in the scriptures, how do we expect the church to move forward? I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, this is, it's, it's very logic to me. If we're not taking the initiative every day to be in the scriptures, we can't be coaches. That's why it's important. Paul took initiative. And he goes on, even as he says, he goes, the conduct of life. He goes, you watch my conduct. It's not that it was his conduct. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that was working in him. And the word means a way of life, a way of living. Meaning, how, do, how does the coach respond to life's tragedies, trials, and tribulations? That teaches more than any theological teaching. A person can talk, but he's got to walk the talk. And they need to walk the talk, and they need to know that their action is much louder than our words. And then he goes on, he says, patience. State of remaining is a means tranquil while awaiting an outcome, being steadfast in enduring. Paul was that. See, Paul not only lived in the know, he lived like he knew. <laughs> he experienced persecutions and sufferings, it says in verse 11, to the point of death. The mentioning of Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra was when he met Timothy, and he almost died when he was almost stoned to death. He saw God rescue him, as it says in that verse. He saw him rescue him. That's from Acts chapter 14, 21 and 22. Let me read that to you. He says, when they had preached the gospel, Luke wrote, to that city, he had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconia and to Antioch, strengthening the souls, which the word strengthening is a discipleship term, and, and it means the parakaleo, it's the actual word, the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. See, that's what it is. See, a coach comes alongside, but the coach is living it. The coach is an imitator. He's initiator, her, initiator, him or her, coach, and an imitator, not an oscillator. It's so important to see that. So where's your coach? Who's coaching you? If you have a coach, who are you coaching? The scriptures makes it very clear that we need to be disciplers and be discipled. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, in the next slide, it's, it's ideally key that we understand as it's written here. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's discipleship. So it's important for us to recognize that. Number two, number two, advance the slide. Being acquainted with the scripture reminds us we must put confidence in Christ. We must put confidence in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned and how, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So again, he goes, as for you, just distinguishing between him and the false teachers, continue, remain, it means. It means don't leave your realm or your sphere. Learn, which means gain knowledge or skill by instruction, with humility, with a teachability, a spirit of teachability. 
See, Timothy was struggling with his inexperience, with his ministry as a pastor. The false teachers were pressuring him about the truth. They were teaching Jewish myths and fables and strange doctrines and endless genealogies, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 3, and 4. Paul reminded him to not allow others to look down from his youth, his inexperience, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. So I'm just trying to show you that this connection. Most young people become defensive when others question them. Right, parents? <laughs> if you question your child, why are you doing that? What do you mean, what am I doing that? I'm just doing it. But why are you doing that? Because I'm doing it. What's it to you? Uh, because I'm the father and I want to know what you're doing with my house. Why well, does it matter? Uh, I'm just doing it. Okay, well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm taking your keys away because I want to do it. <laughs> you can't drive the car anymore because I want to do it because I can do that, right? What's it to you? I could do that, right? I mean, you want to play that game? We could play that game. You know, you just got this kind of fun game, you know? Like, let's just play the defensive game. So here's the thing. But they feel insecure. Inadequate, unsure. They begin to compare themselves to those who are more experienced. Do you think maybe Timothy was doing that? Timothy was looking at Paul and saying, man, he's got it all together. Look at this dude. He travels all over Asia, dude, and he is on fire for the Lord. And these guys are pressuring me, the false teachers, and I don't know, man. I can't handle it. And he's got to keep giving me the pep talk. I'm such a loser. No, he continued. Paul's like, it's okay, son. Just continue. Remain. Learn that it's a learning process. Be humble. Be teachable. Grow. And that's what he's doing. See, fear can lead us to inaction. But Paul commands Timothy to hang on to the truth, to live it out according to the truth. Learning reminds us that we need the Holy Spirit and we need to be humble. <laughs> and we gain that knowledge when we humble ourselves with skill. See, we learn to know that the truth, that when we live the truth and we speak the truth, we can live confidently. It's not, a it's not an event, it's a process. And the word firmly believe is in the air is passive, which means it's God who's already provided what we believe in, and he feels confident, and he's to be convinced of it. So here's the thing. It's not just living in the know. It's living like you know. And when you experience trials and tribulations and God rescues you, you're now living like you know. And when you're living like you know, your confidence is built up. It's rising. And then you're convinced. And then you're wanting to share the gospel. And then you want to spend time in the word of God. And then you want to spend time in his presence. And you want to draw closer to God because you begin to gain confidence. And your faith grows. Because when we put our confidence through our difficult times and our trials... We do. And that's what Paul, Paul was trying to tell him. Paul was trying to tell to Timothy that, hey, you know what? Now, you, since you were young, for all of those from whom, the word whom in verse 14 is saying this, it's the plural. It was his mother and his grandmother and Paul who instilled a faith in him to encourage him. He had coaches around him, and he was putting his confidence, and he was able to see examples around him and imitators that it began to give him some initiation to get back into the scriptures. Now, the scriptures here is a reference to the Old Testament. And it's important to see and recognize that in the Old Testament, it shows forth the importance of teaching our children. Even today in our New Testament, we need to be teaching our children. So Deuteronomy 6-7, as you see written there on the slide, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Are you doing that now? Or when you walk by the way, are you doing that now? And when you lie down, are you doing that now? When you rise, 
you're talking about scripture. You're encouraging your children, your grandchildren to look to the Lord. Psalm 71, 17. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. These were the scriptures that Timothy was able to know that from his youth he was holding on to the scriptures. Let me just share a quick little theological term here or a theological process here. You got to understand this. Now, as he was reading the scriptures in the Old Testament, there's a continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Christocentric mindset is this, that it's by salvation in the Old Testament. It's salvation is by faith, it's by grace through faith, and the faith of the Messiah yet to come, which is Christocentric, it's the Christ that's to come. And in the Old Testament, it was always with the prophets speaking about Jesus. And even Jesus himself making reference at the end of his life as he was resurrected and, and he came and he's walking on the road to Emmaus and, he, and he's talking to two men. And as he's talking to the two men, he says in chapter 24 of Luke 25 and 26, Jesus mentioned it to the two men and he said this, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. So the Old Testament scriptures, there's a continuity to the New Testament scriptures, and Jesus is the bridge of which we know we have the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ that has set us free from our sin. So the scriptures is ultimately that we point to, is the pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament to the New Testament. Even Jesus expounds a little bit further in Luke chapter 24, 44, and 49 when he says, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's the Old Testament. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. I don't know if you're getting excited. I am when I hear that message. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, which is the promise of the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Hallelujah. Because now the Holy Spirit is deposited in us as Christians, and we can be initiators. We don't have to be isolators, and we can be, you know, we don't have to be able to be imitators of the, of the gospel. Because he goes on to say that that's where wisdom comes from. Wisdom comes from that. Wisdom comes from the knowing. Even grammatically, it speaks that. The word wise is in the infinitive. Every time you see an infinity, you got to go back to the indicative. The first indicative there is the word knowing, acquaintance. That's where we get the word acquaintance in this passage. When we become more acquainted with the word of God, we get wisdom from God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that works through the word of God. It's the special revelation to us. It's not the scriptures that saves us. It's the scriptures that points to Jesus that saves us, and the Holy Spirit is deposited in us. And then we learn about the Holy Spirit. We learn about Jesus. We learn about the Father. We learn about our salvation. We learn about who we are in the midst of identity crisis. And we learn about what we're called to do. Number three, why we need to be acquainted with the scriptures is that we have competence through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's very clear. We're very familiar with this passage. And I'll read it to you here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scriptures is breathed out by God. 
It's not man writing about God. It's God who's writing through man. And what we would believe as a theology, the inspiration of the scriptures, is that God's superintending the writing of the authors using their different personalities and backdrops and backgrounds to be able to write the scripture. So the word of God is God speaking it to us. It's what I call the breathing of God is ruah, but what we know the wind or the breath of God is writing through and giving us the living word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, we don't understand the scriptures. You ever recall that? I grew up in a Catholic church, kept trying to read the scriptures. Didn't make sense. Didn't make sense. Gave my life to Jesus. All of a sudden, I'm reading. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this makes sense. Oh, my gosh. I, I tried this for years. What happened? And the pastor who was mentoring me said, it's because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And I'm like, what's that mean? And I started to learn. And I prayed. God started speaking to me. I started confessing my sin. I started to hear God's voice. I said, God, why me? He said, I called you out of your mother's womb. Remember when your mother told you she tried to abort you? I called you out. I said, Lord, why me? Because of my grace. It's not about you. Do you know what I think is the problem today? We think the scripture is about us. <laughs> it's not. It's about him. And we're his instrument, his servant. And we're to proclaim the gospel so more people could come to faith in Jesus. So he chose me for what purpose? Simply to share it with others until he calls me into his presence. That is the passion that I live because he was breathing on us his words, the very words of God. We call the verbal plenary inspiration of the scriptures inerrancy, infallible, and authority. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. God's got my back, and this word is true. It's a living sword. It's a living word, and we need it more than ever. I got to be honest with you. We can't expect things to happen when 14% of God's people are reading his word. Can, we got to catch this. We got to get back to it. Let me tell you something. We ain't getting out of this. You can say, the master gone. We're out of it. We're not. Until we get back to the scriptures, back to the basics. I want to encourage you, get back to the word of God. You want to get out of this? Get back to the word of God. Start spending time in the word. Then you'll see God set you free. No one's going to set me free in this world. It's only Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because no one knows what I'm thinking, but my God knows what I'm thinking, and he sets me free. So we got to get back to the word of God, submitting to the Holy Spirit, and allow him to work in our lives and share with others because 160,000 people are going into eternity, and what are we going to do about it? we got to stop with the 14% and start getting in the word. Stop complaining. Start getting into that word and let God cleanse you and change you. You come with me with a complaint, I'm going to remind you to go back to the word of God. That's what we're called to. And that's why I prayed before, because I don't want you to think I'm trying to hit on you because I'm hitting on myself. It's time for us to get back to the word. We're not going to get out of this until we do. Because it's profitable, advantageous, beneficial. What I said earlier, people say, well, I don't see the benefit of it. Then you're not getting it. It's beneficial for us. But we got to get in it in order to see the benefit of it. Because God's given us so much. The teaching, the sound doctrine the orthodoxy, the rebuking, exposing our failures and sins with the intention to heal. 
That's the beauty of it. When we get in there, God, it, it's painful. But God wants to heal us. He wants to correct us because he loves us. Convicting us of sin for the purpose of being restored. Training with the system of discipline to bring the believer to a place of practicing holy living. Practicing that leading to godliness. Sanctification, yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the word is telling us. I'm not making this up. Read it. It's what the word. And then it goes on. Paul says to be complete, which means in fit shape and condition. To accomplish the task given by God. Paul was stating to Timothy, if he engaged in the scriptures on a consistent basis and cultivated his spiritual life in the power of the Holy Spirit, he would be fully qualified and well prepared to take on whatever God sends his way. That's what a commentator said. I loved it because it's true. If we would just engage in the scriptures and see God at work, what would happen? It's obvious that this present American evangelical Christian has attempted to walk with God through his own strength. Why do I say that? 14%. Let that just sink in, 14%. <laughs> because you know why? That should motivate us. It would be fair to say that most Christians are not prepared for worship. You know, that's what the article said. It said that they're not prepared for worship when they come to church. Because if you're only reading 14%, you're not preparing yourself. Or me, or I'm not preparing myself. I'm one of those 14 percenters. Sadly, I am. And this is a challenge for each one of us to get back to the scriptures. I mean, this is something that we need to move and move closer to. See, God has provided the scriptures, as I stated earlier, to point us to Jesus. See, here's this last statement I want to share with you. There's a gap between what our character is and what our character should be. And it's usually wide. Fortunately, it's usually wide. However, we need to narrow the gap by getting back to the basics, acquainting ourselves with the scriptures. It's so important because God wants to do that. It's so important for us to realize that that gap that's missing is because we're just not in the scriptures. Because in the scriptures, although it's painful to confess our sin, to be exposed of our sin, Look what we get in exchange, his forgiveness, his righteousness, his peace, his joy, his hope, and the assurance of eternal life. Is that enough? No, he'll go on to say a relationship with him, <laughs> a, a, a secret hiding place, one where he's our, he's our greatest fan. He's clapping for us and lifting us up, always building us up. But what do we do? We turn around and we don't spend much time with him because we're looking for other things here on earth. It's time for us to read the word of God. And it's time for us to experience the pain so we can be his people reaching those who are lost and far away from God. May I encourage you today to get back to the basics. Start reading the word of God again. I hope this challenges you as it's challenged me. As you can see, I'm excited. I pray that our people here and Christians all around the world will do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's a stern call from you, Lord. You give us so much. You bless us with so much. And we have missed out 
we look everywhere else but the scriptures because the 14% is clear. It's shameful, Lord, but it's not hopeless or helpless. We can get out of this. All we have to do is open up the scriptures and start reading and asking you to work in our lives. I pray that we will. We can turn from this. We can be restored as your people. We can start becoming initiators and imitators and not isolators anymore. God, I just pray that you would move us forward for your kingdom's sake. Help us to have this good time of fellowship and encouraging one another even now as we get together to eat some good food and some good fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen.